1: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking with David Bullock, who is the author of Coal Wars, Union Strikes and Violence in Depression-Era Central Washington. David's book is published this year by Washington State University Press. I hope that you really enjoy this interview that I did with him. Welcome back to the podcast. Again, my name is Heath Brown, and today I have the real pleasure to talk with Dave Bullock, who is the author of Coal Wars, Union Strikes and Violence in Depression-Era Central Washington, Dave, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Heath. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, Maybe you could tell
0: us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you are now, and maybe where you've been. Well, I'm a professor of communication, and I teach in Walla Walla, Washington at uh, Walla Walla University. I chair the Department of Communication and Languages here. And um, I've done a lot of research in political areas uh, in the past, and my interest kind of moved more regionally uh, in the last few years and I became interested in kind of following up some stories I'd heard about a community in Central Washington that was very near and dear to me where my grandfather worked and where my mother grew up and the place I always went as a child and I was just uh, kinda of became interested in more labor and uh, uh, community strife I guess that was going on during the 1930s in that community so that kinda of got me involved in this particular area of research
1: yeah it, it it um does strike strike one strike the reader as a very personal project for you before we get to the time period that we're looking at. I wonder if you could just take us to this part of the country this part of Washington state. What does it look like and feel like today what is what is the place like
0: mm-hmm. well, you still get a real feel for the community um it's an older community now um Closed The mining closed in 1963, and so it's been replaced by recreation and uh, timber industry in some aspects. So um, it's about 90 miles east of Seattle. You go up through the mountains and over a pass, and if you drop down out of the pass, you drop down into the valley there. And um, the town of Cleellum is just about 30 miles past the pass. So you move from a very uh, green and lush climate into one that's just a little bit more arid little bit drier and um, trees are a little more sparse but it's got a lot of evergreen trees and uh, mountains and uh, rolling prairie and it's just a beautiful part of the state Um, and apparently they found coal there in 1886 and the the Northern Pacific Railroad was building their line through there and uh, built a spur off before they continued finishing the line so that they could mine the coal and take it out and use it uh, for their rail lines at that particular time so it's uh, when I. Remember the community? There were a lot of unpainted houses. It was built very quickly, and uh, um, just uh, kind of an older uh, ramshackle, in some senses, community. But it's it's kind of spruced up now. Uh, recreation has come in, and there's a, a large resort and golf course, and you know that kind of a, a feel to the community now. It's changed a bit.
1: Yeah, the the book itself is about oh about a hundred years ago or so, um, and and. Uh, the the centers around a couple of towns and and you there's a there's a quote that that I guess comes from the New Republic that called one of the towns quote uh, a little nest of fascists Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe you could talk a little bit about more about these towns including one of them whose name whose the pronunciation is uh, I just learned Um, what was going on in these towns maybe in the immediate time period before
0: you begin talking Yeah, well, Roslyn was the initial community established with the coal mine, and so most of it's the older community and with the larger community at the particular time into the 1930s, but there was a transition occurring, and that was the community of Cleellum. Uh, just two, three miles uh, distant from that. Um, and Kaleelum was a little more on the main rail line. It was also on the highway line, so it was beginning to become a, a stopping point for traffic that was moving east and west through the state. And uh, it was a rail line not only for the northern Pacific, but also for the Milwaukee, uh, one of the Milwaukee rail lines that was electrified and uh, had a stop there in the Kaleelum area. So it was a growing community at that time. There was a third community just about two miles the other side of Roslyn that was called Ronald. And it had developed uh, later on as a smaller mining community as well. But the uh, yeah, the little nest of fascists was the comment that really drove my interest in the entire project, because I saw Roslyn as this sleepy, you know, kind of community, peaceful, calm, and and to hear that there was something going on that someone would have the reaction to call it that really struck me as as a kind of worth investigating further. Um, nope. so, so that's what kind of grabbed my interest in the whole thing.
1: Yeah, the, the Uni- United Mine Workers of America uh, organized many of the mine workers in the region, um, but they weren't alone. Um, what other organizing was going on in the region? And maybe you just touch on a little bit about the... the Particular nature of of the, of of the mining in this region, which is different from the mining that we might have seen in other parts of the country, West Virginia, and so forth, and, and because that seems to relate in some ways to what what played out.
0: right. Roslyn uh, unionized very quickly in the early 18, the late 1880s and um, Even before unions were recognized, they became members of United Mine Workers in 1904. So there was a long history in Roslyn of of unionism and the spirit of working together for the common good. Um, the mining that occurred in Roslyn, it was about half of the coal mining in the state came out of, of Roslyn, Washington at that time. And um, it was done in shafts and in fairly steeply pitched uh, mines to reach uh, the layers of coal that were buried there underground. So it was all underground mining. There's no strip mining that was done in that community of any substance. Um and it was done in these steep, steeply pitched mines. It made it difficult for the uh, company to use equipment in the mines, and it was rather uh, later on when, when equipment was developed. Some of it developed in Roslyn specifically to meet the needs of that particular mining uh, interest and um, exported elsewhere through the country later on. Um, well, so it was, it was a difficult situation for the for to get the coal out of the ground. It was dangerous for the miners. There were explosions. There were deaths from time to time, and it was a pretty uh, dicey prospect.
1: Yeah, and and were the other organizations that were were also involved in in organizing in the region?
0: Um, the United Mine Workers had the stronghold, and and basically the labor um, controllers of 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 the various mining operations would attempt to break through the mines and hire non-union help whenever they could. Uh, There was also a a fairly strong in the state of Washington uh, communist influence, especially from from Seattle uh, where you had dock workers who tended to unionize uh, along with communist workers and have some centers of thought kind of uh, coming out of the Seattle area. Um, So there was communist influence. It didn't have a stronghold in Rosin, but it did have some influence. And there had been in the state a fairly active history with the industrial workers of the world and uh, their interest in at kind of the one big union, having uh, all workers uh, banding together for their common good. Uh, they had made stronger inroads in the area of lumber and uh, loggers in the state and had not had much success with miners uh, organizing under their banner in any sense.
1: So there's a couple of
0: flashpoints here that, that really do
1: sort of change the the dynamics and the working relationships between the united mine workers association and the companies and and some of these other factions that were involved could you point to us to a couple of them because they're very intriguing and
0: and and i think really do animate the story a good deal um the united mine workers by this point was a was a very strong national international union and they had uh Come under the leadership of John L. Lewis, who had kind of solidified his support within the union. And so um, they had a they had a stronghold throughout the nation. And a lot of miners in Roslyn and elsewhere took that very seriously. They saw this group as having tremendous power to have uh, the power of pensions, to have the power of a national voice and to speak for their rights and their benefits. Um, and so they did have a lot of pull in the region, and uh, a, I think Roslin was one of the strongest supporters of the Union for some period of time during the 1920s and 30s. One of the challenges that they had there, uh, as they had in other parts of the country during this time, not only do you have a depression occurring in the early 1930s, but you have a, really a depressed market for mining coming back to just after World War I. There was a kind of a boom right after the war, and then – Wages just started declining. The number of hours that were worked started declining. And so miners' incomes were being challenged more and more, and they were being asked by their unions to vote for wage cuts. And uh, that was not popular, certainly not popular in Roslyn, not popular in Illinois and some other places in the country where you saw movements beginning to break away from the United Mine Workers.
1: Right, Now, and uh, you tell the stories of... Um of a a murder that took place, Um, you you tell stories of of imprisonments, how did some of these, you know, the the very specific uh, events actually sort of change the nature of of the story that you're telling?
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, what occurred in Roslin was that uh, I think uh, probably led by a socialist influence Uh, in the community, uh, just a real frustration and dissatisfaction with the leadership of the United Mine Workers. And so uh, the miners met together in their union hall and voted to um, replace their state um, director for the United Mine Workers, their president. And this is a legal process and the votes were counted and they had uh, sufficient votes to replace him and put another person in place. And John L. Lewis stepped in overnight and disallowed the vote and uh, called in a, pro- a provisional uh, district rather than district charter rather than following the district charter that was already in place and substituted his own man in the leadership of the state uh, united mine workers position it was the same man that had just been voted out so the miners took that as a clear sign they were not going to get a fair shake from the united mine workers and a group of them split apart and decided to form their own union in uh, based in Roslyn, and uh, they called themselves the Western Miners Union of America. There's a Western Federation that was a different group, started earlier, was more related to the industrial workers of the world. This is an independent group that's just in Roslyn with one other following, I think, on the west side of the state, Um, and uh, their sole purpose was higher wages and that they thought they had represented most of the miners in the district, which was basically Roslyn, when they started this effort. So I don't know if I got that answer to you, Heath. But
1: that's yeah, no, no, you absolutely did, and 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 quite serious and, and um, uh, violence uh, uh, ensued. I, maybe you could talk just a little bit about the sort of the nature of the violence, but also take that up to a little bit about how you pursued this. So I was very interested in what what sounded like um, continued. Um, that that this issue that 's now a hundred years old stays in the community that there are people who still are uncomfortable talking about what had happened decades you know mm-hmm. uh, nearly a century ago um, Can you tell us a little bit about actually researching this and 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 discovering what you know some of the secrets that people may not have wanted to talk about?
0: Well, absolutely. I began my research at a point where I feel that many in the community had put aside some of those differences that had been so intense. But there were those, even as I started the project, who said, boy, you better be careful with this. There are people who still have really strong feelings. Uh, and So uh, it was an interesting project to kind of start on that note. Um, I was able to talk with a half a dozen people who had lived through that, uh, probably most of them as children at this point. Um, But they... um, Each one of them had their own story to tell, and they were very uh, specific and very uh, similar in their sense of the strong... um attitudes that were felt at the time, the threats that were made, the the threats of violence and the actual violence that occurred. And they had vivid memories of the police using tear gas and people are threatening to throw bricks through their windows. And, um, you know, the the picket lines and the intensity of the violence that occurred there on the picket lines uh, was something that just stung the community and stayed with them to the point where if, uh, you know, many of the the protesters, I guess, would have left the community because they wouldn't have work. But there were those who remained, and, and there were strong feelings that remained uh f- civic groups, community groups, you know, getting together to plan meals and, and not being able to reach agreement with individuals on the other side of the cause. and It was just uh, a thing, something that infiltrated the community and really infiltrated generationally too. There were younger people who d- hadn't lived through those events but still had very strong opinions about who was right and who was wrong in the conflict.
1: Did you ever talk to your grandfather about any of this? He, he
0: I, I assume, or I presume uh, lived through much of this. Uh, did you ever... Talk to him? I did not, and I did not talk with my mother about it either, or my uncle, who I knew very well, and, uh, you know, we certainly talked about history in the community a lot, but we never discussed this. It was never an issue, and I, I don't know that they were particularly avoiding it, but um, it was probably something they just felt like it wasn't worth discussing. They didn't want to bring up bad memories and go through that again.
1: Yeah, I wonder what this case tells you about the time period. Um, and, and what we can learn about the labor movement from this. This is a very particular book, also very personal, but um, this, I think, does relate to some some larger issues in, in the study of labor politics and, and labor organizing. Um, what did you do, take away from
0: it? Well, I, one of my takeaways, Heath, was uh, the notion that part of the success for the movement was really based in the fact that it was locally initiated, and yet I think the entire... The overall failure of that movement was also based in the fact that it was so local. Uh, There was an influence, I'm quite sure, from documents that I've read, that individuals from the East had some influence either directly or indirectly by writing and providing information to individuals in the Roslin community about how to go about striking, how to conduct a strike. And that information suggested that they put women and children at the front of the picket lines uh, and to do everything in their power then for those individuals to stop the miners from entering the mines. Uh, In that era, men would not hit women, would not strike them. And so uh, I think that had some influence on how the the whole strike was conducted and how those picket lines were set up. Um, Some of the men then who were protesting stayed toward the back. They could maintain some air of deniability perhaps uh, without, you know, becoming directly involved in some of the physical confrontations. And yet uh, there was still a strong uh, force that was keeping the miners from entering the mines. The failure uh, of that then comes from the fact that, that I think they lost some of their perspective and began battling some of the smaller fires instead of the ones they could deal with instead of looking to the larger issue and perhaps they never really had a chance at all because of the power of the United Mine Workers to sit down with the president, to sit down with uh, labor leaders and with industry leaders and uh, to kind of plot a course for how to manage uh, a, a local disturbance like was occurring in Roslyn.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting book, uh, a great cover as well, um, something that uh, I think people would enjoy from lots of different fields. Um, again, uh, Dave's book is Cold Wars, Unions, Strikes, and Violence in Depression-Era Central Washington, published by Washington State University Press, available at their website and on Amazon. Dave, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Heath. It's been a pleasure.